0: my heart is filled with gratitude this morning, just being able to be a part of this church, to be able to bring the word this morning, and uh, the topic that I get to preach about as well, the, the text. There's just, from the singing this morning to the prayer to the, even the announcements in the video of just being a part of Sovereign Grace Churches, there's just, our God is so good to us. Amen. And so, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 4. The title of my sermon this morning is Our Glorious and Sympathetic Priest. Today we get to worship the beauty of our sympathetic Christ and his gentle handling of sinners who come to him. Let me read the text. I'll pray for us and then we will get after it. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a gift it is that we can look at this text and anticipate you ministering to us this morning. You are a God who loves to build his church. You sent a son who was glorious and sympathetic, who entered into our weakness. So, God, would you use me, fill me with your Holy Spirit now to show the beauty of Christ. Let us leave this meeting today more in love with Jesus, more aware of his heart for us. God, help me to preach the word with joy, clarity, power, and in the power of your spirit. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. There's an artist whose name is Chance the Rapper, and uh, he is a rapper (laughs) uh, who who grew up in the city of Chicago with humble beginnings. Uh, He always carries a city on his heart, and he prides himself as one of the artists who, no matter how big they get, will never forget where he comes from. At 28 years old, Chance the Rapper's current net worth is $25 million. He's a three-time Grammy award-winning artist and has also won multiple BET awards, iHeartRadio Music Awards, and a Soul Train Music Award, and over 30 other nominations. Yet in all of his splendor and fame and success, Chance has stayed pretty true to his promise to carry Chicago on his heart. I don't have time to list all that he's done but let me just jot down a few things for you guys. He launched an anti-violence campaign called #SaveChicago, that sought to address gang violence in streets and lower the crime rates in the city. He started something called the Warmest Winter Project, which provided jackets that converted into sleeping bags for homeless folks. He launched something called Social Works Chicago, which is a program that focuses its efforts to get youth off the streets and engages them with arts, education, and civic engagement he donated one million of his personal earnings to the Chicago Public School Foundation, and in one month raised over $2.2 million. Finally, he also started a faith-based summer camp for city kids called Kids of the Kingdom, which is an arts, faith, and civic engagement camp. Chance the Rapper, in all of his fame and influence, still remains deep down a Chicago kid that carries a city on his heart. He desires to provide hope for struggling youth and families in a city plagued with hardship. And this is my favorite thing. At some point, uh, all illustrations break down because there truly is no one like our Christ. I mean, Chance lives in a mansion. He's not always in the city of Chicago. But here's my question. Why is it easier for us to believe that Chance the Rapper, worth $25 million, can still carry a city on his heart and be generous towards it? Yet when we consider Jesus, our great high priest, ascended and reigning gloriously in heaven, it's hard for us to remember his gentle handling of sinners who come to him. That his gentle heart and sympathetic temperament towards us is unchanging. The writer of the Hebrews is showing his audience that Christ is the better, greater, and completely perfect high priest. Our sins have been dealt with. The enslaving power of sin over us, defeated. Condemnation is not coming again. This text gives us hope in that it encourages these Christians to keep on going, to hold fast to what they believe, because the author is aware that this group of people is suffering. He's aware of their weaknesses, and so he's showing them that not only, this is so great, not only is every sin paid for, but in your temptations and your struggling You have Christ with you, understanding you, loving you, calling you to come to him for help in your time of need so you can find grace. This text matters today because it's so hard for us to see Christ's heart accurately. There is legitimacy to our awareness of our fallen nature and our inclination to sin. And and this makes it seem impossible to believe that Christ knows us, knows our deepest failings, knows our deepest sufferings and our hardships, and continues to love us. But this text is a splash of ice-cold water on our faces that wakes us up to the realities of our sympathetic Savior. God wants us to wake up to the reality that in our discouragement, in our failings, Christ's love is steadfast. These words are a comfort to us that cancels our cynicism regarding the love of Christ. Day Nortland is helpful in, in this. He says, The writer to the Hebrews is taking us by the hand and leading us deep into the heart of Christ, showing us the unrestrained witness of Jesus regarding his people. Our Christ is always with us. He does not leave us. Wherever you go, Jesus is with you. And so, church, I want you to know that our high priest— Our majestic, conquering king, our savior, Jesus Christ, really knows you personally. And he understands you. The glorious Christ deals gently with broken and suffering sinners and offers unlimited grace. And so we're going to walk through this text under two headings. Let's just jump into heading number one. This will be verses 14 through 16. This is the heading, His Character, Our Confidence. Church, because it's Christ, we hold fast our confession. Something I love is that the writer here is constantly reminding the Hebrews of what they have. Not what they had, not what they will have in the future, but right now, they have a great high priest. We are forgetful, and we do need to be reminded. This is not just some doctrinal truth that once was. Church, this is our current reality. (laughs) Right here... In this moment, as you're listening to me speak, we have this great high priest who is for us. We can put all of our life on this. We can stake everything that we have into our faith, into our confession, because Jesus Christ is our high priest. The hope in this text is that it shows us the character and compassion of Christ. Because Jesus is the God man, he is simultaneously exalted. And accessible. He is almighty, yet approachable. He is majestic, yet meek. And we get to come to him and find rest and compassion and help in our time of need. The character of Christ gives us full confidence that our confession of faith is worth holding on to. He was tempted in totality, yet he did not sin once. We are sinners who cannot get it right, yet we have a savior who walked in our shoes and did it perfectly. Again, Dan Ortland is helpful here. It says, Jesus' sinlessness means that he knows temptation better than we ourselves do. He endured all temptations and testings without ever giving in. He therefore knows the strength of temptation better than any of us. Is there something I need to do? With this, the thing, just keep going. I'm going to keep rolling. Got it. Good, good. (laughs) Church, but here's the point. There is no suffering and no temptation that Christ has not overcome. If you think yours is too great to bear, remember the loving gaze of our Savior. Remember the tears that he spilled in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember that he went to the cross and took on all the sins, the, the only things that could be held against you, your condemnation, your judgment. He took them and he said, these are mine. You are free. Go in peace. Peter O'Brien is here. He says, believers have in heaven a high priest with an unequaled capacity for empathizing with them in all their weaknesses. Is this how you view Jesus? Unequaled capacity for empathizing with them in all their weaknesses. Yep. Especially the weaknesses that result in sin. This empathy, however, extends beyond the sharing of feelings and includes the element of active help towards those who suffer. So he empathizes with us and he comes to our help. Um, Many of you guys know I wrestled all throughout college. I love the sport so much. There is a unique bond that wrestlers have with the wrestling coaches uh, because wrestling is one of the only sports in which the coaches get in there and do the thing with you. One of the greatest benefits is Like, when I was in college, I I had a heavyweight coach who just beat me up every day. (laughs) Like, like, he is literally walking through the practice with me. We are scrapping. We are getting after it. The dude was insane. Like, at the end, when we're running sprints, he would be right there with us, running sprints, trying to beat me. And then we're both leaning on the wall at the end of service, uh, service, at the end of practice, exhausted, sweating. He's dripping with blood. And when he turns to me and says, that was hard, but it's going to make you better. I believe him. He is right there with me, every single step, doing the things, and he is is offering his help to me so that I could be a better wrestler. And Christ does that with us to such a better extent. He walked through all the suffering, took on the wrath of God for us so that we can be his children. So, So what we have to do is we have to dare to believe what the Bible actually says. Do you know what this is, holding fast to our confession? It means that we are brutally attacking our lack of faith and unbelief. Because this is how it ought to play out. The author says, draw near with confidence because you've got a high priest who's able to sympathize with you. And boom, we immediately take off like Usain Bolt to this throne of grace, running to Christ, shameless, confident, ready to receive from him. But that is not always our response. We say, let me clean this up a little bit before I come to you. Let me get a little more consistent with my Bible reading. And then if we do draw near, we draw near sheepishly, navel-gazing with our eyes on the ground. Dare to trust the Bible. Hold fast to your confession. Treat it as God's word and obey its commands. The commands here are to go to him with confidence and find help in the time of need. Not waiting until it's over and trying to pick up the pieces of the mess, collect it, fix it, and then go to him. In your time of need, church, we go to him. Right when you need him most. Listen, if we don't understand this, if this doesn't click... We're going to end up trying to be good Christians without the help of Christ, which is impossible. We'll try to find hope and comfort in things and people that will leave us comfortless. You want to be understood? Don't look past Christ and try to find someone more understanding. You look your Savior right in the eye and let him do his thing. He entered into our weakness. He deals gently with us. We trust the character of Christ, who is Christ. Jesus Christ is perfect in all of his ways. He is the perfect friend of sinners, sinners like you and me. And that's not hyperbole. That is who he actually is. He always knows what's best for us. He never leaves us alone to our own devices. He's walked well more than a mile in all of our shoes. He actually understands your temptations and your sufferings better than you do. And here's what's amazing. He doesn't hang these things over your head in contempt and say, I've walked this road and got it figured out, figured out. You need to catch up. No, in your suffering, in the very moment where you believe that you are completely alone, Jesus, the perfect friend, our great high priest, our gentle savior, Is right there with you. If you believe you are alone right now, Christian, may the Spirit open your eyes to the reality of Christ's compassion and comfort and steadfastness as your companion. Our response to this text is to believe the grace that is available to us and consistently, regularly, and constantly run to Christ. There is no other refuge for the Christian. We bring all our weaknesses and failures to him, not sheepishly, but with a smile. Because time after time after time, he will deal gently with us and love us and forgive us and empower us. One theologian says it like this. He says, for us to hang back is to doubt God's heart of mercy. To limit Christ's unspeakable sacrifice and secretly to conceive that God must have something against us because of past sin or failure. And this is that unbelief which is the great secret foe of the God of truth and grace. Believer, exercise your heart over and over on this wonderful phrase, the throne of grace. Because our great high priest is Christ, we confidently go to this throne. We honor God when we take him at his word. He is trustworthy. He will not lie to us. And he reveals to us here a beautiful aspect of his heart. (laughs) He reveals to us what it meant when he was clothed in flesh. He shows us his beautiful character, his steadfastness as he put on weakness, the ultimate fulfillment of the office of the great high priest. And we honor him when we say, yes, God, I believe you are who you say you are. And I'm running to the throne of grace. We have to know the approachability of our Christ. If we don't know this and don't know that He is for us, we miss out on one of the greatest privileges given to the Christian. We can talk to God. And it's not like a long distance call to some sage who was high and lofty that can't relate, He relates to us better than any human can. Because he entered fully into our weaknesses and without sin. If we don't know this, we'll believe the easily accessible lie that God has no time for little old me. We'll believe that our existence in relation to God is this, inconvenience. That he rolls his eyes in exasperation when we go to him in prayer. He can't care for my specific struggles I'm too insignificant, (laughs) but friends, mercy and grace from him are immediately accessible. Have you ever felt so desperate that you think, I need out of this right now? And I see no way out. The walls are closing in. Darkness is creeping up in my heart wickedness is here this text flies into our face and says in that moment where it seems you are alone and your situation is about to find a way to get even worse than it is now Christ is right there with a comforting gentle hand on your shoulder saying come to me and find grace and mercy in your time of need right now here's the crazy thing you never have to sin. That There's never a moment in our lives when we can honestly and earnestly say, I had absolutely no other choice than to sin. That's simply not true. And Christ is saying to you now, in your time of need, I am here, right now. Every moment of temptation has an out. You run to the throne of grace and receive the mercy and grace that he has in store for you. And if you sin, rather when you sin, because we will continue to sin, that grace is still there. Our failures don't cancel our access to the throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. If we come to him as sinners needing rescue, he says, they finally get it. Get over here. He is calling us. There is no act we can commit that cancels this throne. If we come for grace, we will receive grace. Grace. Because it is Jesus' throne. It is the throne where grace overflows out of his gentle and lowly heart. This throne directs our gaze to our compassionate Christ. So go ahead and strut up to the throne of grace, church. Not because we deserve it, but because he can deal gently with us. And his grace is there. It's wild because, you know, we think we don't deserve this right to go confidently to him. And guess what? You're right, we don't deserve this grace and it should blow our mind. (laughs) But it's still our reality. And so draw near confidently and draw near often. Receive the mercy from Christ. Asking for help is an embarrassing thing because we are prideful. I hate it when I have to admit, I don't know how to do this thing, somebody please help me. I keep failing at this thing, somebody please help me. But the Christian message is this, salvation is a free gift of grace so that no one may boast. We've got nothing to boast about unless we make our boast in him. And so when it comes to our salvation, we look at Christ and his gentle and lowly heart. And he says, open your hands and receive my mercy. He says, I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know there are some days you can't even get out of bed in the morning. So come. Receive my mercy. This is my heart towards you right now. Christ did not drop love for people when he ascended into heaven. There are not two Jesuses. You know, in our heads, I feel like we have this, this, this split Like, we we give Jesus schizophrenia or something. Like, there's this majestic, glorious Jesus in the heavens, which he is. And then an entirely different thought group and category over here is this lowly Jesus who loves his disciples and is relatable and is understanding and is is kind. It's the same Jesus. (laughs) The familiar stories of his grace and kindness and patience with foolish disciples, the let the children come to me, Jesus— The one who approached the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus. The one who is gentle and lowly in heart, whose yoke is easy and burden is light. That Jesus is the same Jesus who is in heaven right now in all of his glory at the right hand of the Father who is beckoning us to come confidently to his throne of grace. Christ's approachability is based on who he is. Not who you are. Not what you've done. We can't do things to make him more approachable. His heart towards us is set, and he wants us to come. Dan Orland, once again, he says, Looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. Looking out to Christ, we can anticipate only gentleness. Because of the character of Christ, are you daily, regularly drawing near to him? with confidence to receive his mercy, his compassion, and his help? Do you see him as the gentle savior? We're gonna take some time now to zoom in on the gentleness of Christ as we look at heading number two. This is verses, chapter five, verses one through four. His gentleness, our renewal. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Let me take a few moments to explain some of the things happening in the verses here. Uh, the writer is describing some of the regular priests and how they were uniquely qualified to be priests. The overarching theme of this section in the book of Hebrews is showing how Christ, in a better way, fulfills all of these qualifications, fulfills all of these tasks. Why is Christ our great high priest? Because he is the first priest who had zero sins of his own to offer sacrifice for. This is the first 100% blameless and perfect sacrifice. And he wasn't bringing a lamb or a goat or a bull. He brought himself. The priest's job is to act on behalf of men in relation to God. The priest helps our relation to God. Christ helps our relation to God. Apart from Christ, our great high priest, our relation to God is not good. We are sinners deserving of hell. We do not perfectly obey his commands. And yet Christ steps in and brings us into the family of God. He was called by God to intercede for us, to bring us back into the fold of God, and he did so with a smile. And there is mercy and grace waiting for all of us, and all we have to do is come to him. Another theologian says this, he says, No one ranks alongside him, Christ, in the estimate of God, and therefore no one should be bracketed with him in the estimate of Christian people. Our high priest could not be closer, (laughs) either to God or to us. And this great high priest deals gently. But with whom does he deal gently with? The ignorant and the wayward. Not the really upstanding moral Christian who messes up every once in a while. We're talking about complete buffoons like me. Dana Ortland says, Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether or not the sinner comes to him. Church, and this gives us confidence. When you realize that Christ is on your side and is for you and deals with us full of grace and gentleness because you've come to him, there's a surety that cannot be shaken. Who does he deal gently with? Wayward and ignorant ones who come to him. That is all of us. None of us who come to him fall outside those categories. Our Christ understands and he has dealt with our sins in totality. That cannot be done. And who is this grace for? William R. Newell says it like this. Grace is for the unworthy. As long as you and I are disappointed in ourselves, we show that we have been hoping in ourselves. When we have failed, it is our own strength we have, in our folly leaned upon. If you are one of them that are tempted, one of the ignorant and erring you are one of those to whom our great high priest freely affords his infinite blessing. And so what does this mean for us? God requires us to live a life not in navel-gazing humiliation of our weaknesses, but one that boldly and courageously lives for Christ, knowing that in our mistakes and temptations and weaknesses, there is a throne of grace waiting for us. So we are going to keep on going, church, step by step, glorifying God, celebrating Christ, not compromising our convictions, yet joyfully experiencing the delight of the Father because of the salvation we have received from the Son. Here's what you'll receive if you go to him. Not a shaming punishment or harsh words or exile. He will not cast you out. Here's what you receive. Mercy and grace. Grace. So don't let shame keep you a single moment longer from throwing yourself towards this throne of grace. And do not go with your head hanging low as if these burdens are still yours to bear, but go confidently knowing that our sympathetic Christ gently handles sinners who come to him. The pull of our faith is that the grace of our Savior gives to fools like me, the the amount of grace our Savior gives to people like me. I stand here as a man who deserves unending torment and punishment from Jesus. The wrath of God should have been poured on me. I am far from perfect. I do not follow the law as I ought, but Jesus decided to rescue me. God saved me. When we look at Jesus, the real Jesus, fully God and fully man. We see that he is our Christ who is filled with dazzling beauty and holiness and is one who, if we saw him in his perfected glory, it would fill us with awe and terror. This Jesus is also the friend of sinners who wept at Lazarus' grave and reached the unreachable, touched the untouchable, and loved the unlovable. And so we are to reflect the heart of Christ to others. We are to imitate the love and understanding and sympathy that we have received from our Savior. We cannot atone for the sins of others. We would be poor high priests, but we surely can enter into the sorrows and sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can walk with them and lift their chin to gaze upon the throne of grace and tell them, run to it. We can certainly do that. In fact, we can run to the throne of grace on behalf of our friends. We can bear one another's burdens, as it calls us to in Galatians 6.2. The character and glory and grace revealed in Jesus Christ ought to strengthen our resolve to be both courageous and bold, gentle and kind. These things can and must coexist, for it is the way our Savior is to us. We ought to strive to show the heart of Christ to others. As we grow in understanding Christ's heart for us, let's resolve to be ones who not only experience the joy of his love for us, but exude and pour out that joy to others. So that in our Christian friendship, in our fellowship with one another, we are just showing one another the love of Christ back and forth like a tennis match, just bam, love of Christ, bam, love of Christ, back and forth. But what would happen if the world could experience the heart of Christ through us? It's a little bit irresistible if they got to see the real Jesus, the true Jesus, the one who has true and all-encompassing authority, who rules with majesty and honor and power, yet is also the most gracious and forgiving and loving king we could ask for. We can show the world who this Christ is. Ben, you can start to come out now. Christ's heart is beautiful. There ought to be permanent shock and wonderment that these verses are in our Bibles. And if not permanent, it ought to be cyclical. Like every once in a while, we should just say, wait, what? And then we open up our Bibles and read it and say, these verses are still here. Church, you know what? We are actually going to be okay. Each moment is one moment closer to glory. Just a little closer. And we have such a great help with us. Christ isn't a pretty decent high priest. He is the perfect one. The great high priest. He's really got us. He's not going to unsympathize himself from our weaknesses. No, he knows. And he's advocating. And he's loving us. And so we serve him, and we worship him, and we delight in the truths of the gospel because he is so good to us. This is a happy text, church. Christ is our high priest. His heart towards us is compassionate. His disposition towards us is approachable. His gaze upon us is favor and love. We are forgiven. We are cherished. He deals gently with us. How beautiful. We need Jesus. We have Jesus. Let's remember and rejoice in the heart of Jesus. He is our great, glorious, and sympathetic high priest. Amen.